This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. We want to hear from you right now. Text us at 918-262-5072. All right, it's 205 here on the Blitz 1170. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to talk some Oklahoma State here in a second. Uh, Also coming up this hour, I don't know if anyone's been paying attention, but this whole back and forth that's happening right now with Rory McIlroy and Patrick Reed is hilarious. Over something so dumb. I I have a couple of opinions on things because I don't... Patrick Reed is a jerk. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And he's basically suing everyone, so I don't know what his response, what he thought the response from Rory should be. But I did just read a quote from Patrick Reed, who was talking to Golf Monthly, that said, because Patrick Reed flicked a tee at Rory on the tee box. (laughs) Oh, no. By the way, golf fights are hilarious. Oh, yeah. It's It's a a lot like the, hey, buddy, hold me back, hold me back. But when Rory didn't acknowledge him, he flicked a tee at him. And his quote to Golf Monthly was, since my tees are Team Ace's live tees, I flicked one at him. He saw me and decided not to react. But it's one of those things, if you're going to act like an immature little child, then you might as well be treated like one. For Patrick Reed to call anyone an immature little child is hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. We'll get into that. Okay, yeah, because there's a couple think points that I want to make whenever we get into that. So We will also get into... It's that time of year where a gentleman that was from your state or at least played in your state that didn't get a school offer inside of your state, the questions would be like, how come they didn't recruit George Kittle? He was right there in Norman. That's because George Kittle weighed literally less than 200 pounds and had only played three snaps at tight end in high school in Norman. And then went to where his dad played, and the first thing on campus said, hey, George, you're not playing until you gain 50 pounds. By the way, we're going to play you a tight end. There's like three offers that he had, so calm down there. And then we'll, re- we'll revisit the Brock Purdy versus Jalen Hurts on a uh, faithful night here in the state of Oklahoma oh, so many years ago. But first, let's set up the hotline and welcome in Jacob Unruh from the Oklahoma joining us here on the Blitz 1170, talking a little Oklahoma State. Jacob, what's going on, man? How are you? Oh, I'm good. Just on the way back from Austin. So you got to tell me, how was the Moody Center, your first experience with it? It looks awesome. How was it actually inside the arena? It's actually an incredible place. Um, I was talking about it after, and, you know, I think it's um, (laughs) – it blew me away, and I think it's the best arena in the Big 12 – that's out there and I, I I hesitate to say that in a way because I don't want to negate Kansas right because Kansas is Kansas for a reason the arena there you know Allen Fieldhouse is incredible uh, the tradition the atmosphere everything like that but if you want to talk about nice new quality oh my gosh the Moody Center is insane um just the I think that they're doing it right with the video boards around the top to cover up seats up there they got the right amount of crowd. It's loud. The sound system's incredible. Um, 
it's all I mean it's all new to that health. But I mean it's just it blew me away. Turning the whole arena orange when Texas comes on the floor and introductions and like just all the different things they did. Like it's just it was such a great atmosphere last so typically when they build a new arena like that, sometimes they get it right, sometimes they don't. Did it have a, a like a quality feel from like a basketball perspective to it? And then the second part of that is you talked about it with the video screens that they have up top. They were designed to kind of reverberate the sound as well back on the floor. Has it, has it equaled what they were trying to accomplish with the amount of sound that they have in the building? I think so. Um, I think it had a good basketball feel. It felt like a basketball arena more than a, than a multi-purpose venue to me. Um, it felt perfect for that. And then the sound, I thought, I, I mean, I made, I think the sound here is probably the best sound system in, in the Big 12 for sure because it was really loud, but it never overwhelmed me. It never made me think, gosh, it's super loud in here, and th- and it's obnoxious. It was more of, this is super loud, and it sounds incredible. And so, um, you know, I wouldn't sit in courtside, obviously, but um, I thought the sound was, was very well done in there and bounced off where it was supposed to and sounded what it needed to sound. All right, Jacob Unruh is our guest here on the Blitz. Um, all right, what the hell with Brock Cunningham? <laughs> this, is, this is insane that he has his best performances against the Cowboys, and last night was another prime example of that. <laughs> I, I don't know. The guy doesn't miss three-pointers against OSU anymore, apparently, and um, just makes plays. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he's he's always been a guy that for Texas that makes big plays in big moments and, and just doesn't really make mistakes. And, um, it just shines a little against OSU because he's a guy I think can, I don't want to say flies under the radar, but with as many athletes OSU has on the floor, OSU focuses that direction and it opens things up for Brock and He's he's torched OSU for the last few seasons, and it's it's kind of crazy. Um, they're going to have to figure out something that they have to play again in Kansas City. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know. I I wish I could explain it. I didn't realize he was that good against uh, against OSU until afterwards, and I just thought, wow, I just it just doesn't seem that way. But then when you think about it, yeah, he really is killing it. You know, typically, um, and I'm not breaking any news here, but when fouls turnovers and then rebounds go against you there's not many uh nights that ultimately end up being yours and i think that kind of tells us the story of last night's game they shot over 40 percent from the field uh maybe not quite to the levels of three-point shooting like they had against iowa state shot 31 percent but you add all those other three elements together rebounds fouls and turnovers and i think you have the perfect outcome uh for texas last night yeah, you know, it, it just felt like Texas kept those shoot arms reach the whole time. It was uh, I made the analogy earlier today when I was talking about it. It was like kind of uh, you know, the the bully, the big bully having your hand on the the, the kid's head as they're swinging, and they can't reach you. Is what it kind of what it felt like <laughs> last night for OSU. It was just yeah, they just had him just right there, and OSU couldn't do anything about it. And, um, and the big reason I think you know, rebounded, you, you mentioned that I think was a huge reason they just. In the first matchup when it was close and, you know, no one really scored in that game, they blocked 12 shots. They rebounded really well against Texas. This one, they didn't do that. Um, they got dominated inside um, on the boards particularly. And then and then you just – the defense – the fouls go as part of the defense. They just played really poor defense last night. Um, they weren't getting stops. And, and, and there were times they played good defense and Texas still scored. It was just that kind of night that the numbers looked bad um, on top of them 
getting out of position and fouling a bunch. And it built up to where they couldn't just overcome it. And you lose Avery Anderson, who was playing very well, the fouls, the fouls, you know, five minutes left in the game, he fouls out. Um, Caleb Boone had foul trouble the first half. The, you know, the biggest stretch there was the end of that first half when um, they're within a basket with a little over four minutes left. And um, Boone's on the on the bench. Then Avery gets his second foul, goes to the bench. Asbury gets his second foul, goes to the bench. Um, and they don't score for the last three minutes and 31 seconds of the half. And instead, Texas adds five more and makes it an eight-point lead. Um, and then Texas comes out and scores the first five points of the second half. Um, that was kind of stretch right there that I think really did OSU in to where they had a chance to go and tie the game or even try to take the lead. They got into that next basket, and um, instead they the foul trouble really hammered their offensive output at that point, and they couldn't do anything. Well, you so you take that final what over three and a half minutes where they don't score because you're right it was I think oh, gosh it was like thirty three thirty I think uh, after the uh, yeah it was a three point game yeah it was. So you take that, and then you add the start to the game in which they didn't score, and I, I, I know you try to separate the two, but still you add those up, and we're over seven minutes now that you're talking about in the first half where it's difficulty on them scoring. And then in the second half, you go through another stretch where you don't score at all that's like around three or four minutes, and you're, you're not helping yourself offensively, but... It, Kind of to your point as well, even though they would pull the game, it seemed like within eight points a couple of times, even after going through some of those stretches, it just seemed like Texas always had an answer last night to stop uh-huh. any type of momentum at all that Oklahoma State was able to get. Absolutely. I think there was a shot at one point that, that Carr was tightly guarded by Avery Anderson, pulls up for a jumper, and I thought, what is he even taking the shot for? There's no chance. And he doesn't even touch the rim. It just goes straight through the net, and I'm just like, that was insane. Like, that was great defense. And he just hit this incredibly difficult shot. Like, what do you do if you're always shooting that situation? You just kind of shrug your shoulders and move on. Your best defender just got beat, you know? And so, it just it, – it, this was just one of those frustrating nights that they, they felt like they had a chance, uh, but also at the same time they felt so far away from having a chance. So what do we take away in general from it? Um, I, I think – let's start on the positive side. You know, John Michael Wright had a – uh, um, pretty good performance uh, again. So that's a kid that even after the game had talked about being in a slump. Uh, so maybe, you know, you start to add a couple of these games together uh, where he's played pretty well. I, I think that that's a massive positive on a uh, notch on the positive side yeah. for the Cowboys. I, I, yeah, John Michael Wright getting getting going. I was going to say getting right would be, but that's <laughs> Please uh, do. But, uh, <laughs> he's, uh, but him, him getting back on track is huge. He's a guy that can uh, and scores. So I mean, he had to kind of take over scoring last night with with Avery in foul trouble, and then Bryce. You know, they they were defending Bryce pretty well and limiting what he could do. Well, he. I still think the offense is is progressing in different ways. I mean, yeah, you're not going to see. You're going to look at last night and think, man. You know, they didn't shoot great from three, and, they, they, you know, they, they had some other issues too. But, you know, when you look at it, they're still getting they're still getting a lot of positives. You know, positives you look at, that you know, they're making more three-pointers than they were the points in this season. Um, they're getting back in their tempo. I mean, this is a team that scored 46 points against Texas the first time, and now they're scoring in the 70s. Um, so, you know, and of course they gave up 85. But, you know, it's 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 one of those things where – I think the offense is still 
still taking steps forward, even without Musa Cisse on the floor, um, you know, and, and there. But if you want to look at the negatives, I still think that uh, they got to figure out how to beat Texas because if they play against Kansas City, they don't have any answers for Texas right now. I think Texas is just a really bad matchup for them. And I, and I asked Mike last night, I said, is this a rare team that, that you guys face that is more athletic than you across the board? Because those is always so athletic and long. Um, and Texas seems to be the team that can match them, if not surpass them on athleticism and length. Um, and it's given OSU fits. Yeah, and then there comes the question. I saw a lot of it on social media. I, I you know, the the CSA thing is what it is at this point. But they're, they're also a team that kind of has a a physical edge to them that always plays with a certain amount of toughness. And you better raise your game to that level, or you could have a night like you had last night or the previous time that they played. That's just who Texas is. Yeah, you know, and and OSU, I mean, tried to match it, and then they got in foul trouble trying to match it, and so. Um, you know, it's kind of a danged if you do, danged if you don't kind of thing, you know? I mean, it's because those you will play physical. They're not afraid to. Then they got Tyreek Smith, but they'll get in there and, and body some guys up. Avery's aggressive. Bryce could be aggressive. Um, Caleb Boone can that's physical, but he's aggressive. You get Moose out there. They got guys that'll get aggressive they, and physical. They just, you know, like I said, Texas is just that rare matchup when you look at them. Like, it's hard for OSU guards to get, to get space and get past them. And, you know, then Dylan Bisu and, and guys like that last night were playing very physical down low and making it hard on, on those guys around the rim. And, and they didn't do that the first time. And so it's, um, you know, I just, I really think Texas is just the kind of that really bad matchup for OSU. Uh, so we take, what, a game respite here within the conference play and uh, Ole Miss is in town. I have to admit, Jacob, I don't really know a whole hell of a lot about Ole Miss basketball at all uh, from what I've just yeah, seen from them in general. It, it seems like a game that you, you clearly feel comfortable, a team that's below 500. Uh, you, you get a victory and kind of just build some confidence before you get right back into a conference play with Bedlam coming up next week. Yeah, I, I mean, I, don't, I haven't looked much into Ole Miss yet. I just know they're struggling this year. Um, like I said, below 500. But this is a, I, to me, this is a game that OSU can't really take off, though, either. Um, yeah, it's not a Big 12 game, but they've got to come out aggressive. They've got to come out and with a purpose here and they've got to take care of business because if they, like they're, they're on the tournament bubble right now. And if they lose this game, it's going to be really hard to save them. when it comes into to March time. If, even if they're playing well in big 12 play at that tournament, cause they're going to look at this and say, well, that and Southern Illinois and UCF, all three of them, that's, that's just three strikes right there. You know? So I think they cannot lose this game. I, I, I classify this even being a non-conference as a must win. All right, as uh, I've got one question on the football front because they didn't make a DC hire, and I know it's difficult during basketball season uh, for sure. Um, I, like many, had never heard of Gannon University before, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything. There have been some some pretty uh, glowing things that have been said about Brian Nardo, mm-hmm. but I'll just ask you: it really seems like Gundy kind of kicked it old school here and went right back to a process that worked with the Mike Yursich hire recently. Yeah, you know, I, that that well worked the first time. Um, you know, and, and I think Gundy Gundy has been really um, impressive at evaluating people and talent um, through the years. And so I think when you look at that, to me, I look at it and go, okay, he's he's evaluating someone differently than we would expect. Um, you know, because he's 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 pretty good at taking a three star guy and saying, all right, you know, we're going to take you and develop you, and then develop into a star. 
Um, the same thing with some coaches. He did it with Yersich. He's done it with, with some other guys. You know, he went and believed in Jim Knowles and a lot of people necessarily weren't. And then Jim Knowles became Jim Knowles we know now. Um, and so um, I tend to get a benefit of doubt on that. But then when I talk to I talk to someone really close to, to Nardo um, for the Emporia State days, and I heard nothing but glowing things about how this guy is just fantastic across the board as a coach and a person. Um, the question people have raised to me is how can he recruit? Um, I think we'll see. Um, but I think that they put some things in place by promoting Joe Bob Clements to co-defensive coordinator and, and Tim Duffy to, to the defensive passing game coordinator to like to help help Nardo adjust and to help with recruiting. I think that's probably the biggest thing uh, that kind of got glossed over a little bit was was Joe Bob and kind of moving into that position of co. That will help him settle in in many ways because you know ultimately – you know what's coming, right, with the, ah, see, he's in over his head or, oh, this is great, you know, he unearthed the gym. You, you know how all the different storylines go. But to me, the one that was glossed over the most was was Joe Bob and, and kind of moving into that position. Yeah, I think so, because I think Joe Bob's been there, obviously, now, and he's a guy that's in line to, you know, to get a D.C. job eventually. And so um, this is his chance to keep progressing that way, but also be that, that safe line. He knows, he knows the fast, he knows the fast pace of a, of a uh, Big 12 game, and he knows how to get plays in and things like that, and he can he can really help a guy like Nardo who's going from, you know, he's never been at the Power 5 level, and so this is going to be a whole new world in a lot of ways, and I think Joe Bob could be his lifeline. Jacob, safe travels, man. Really appreciate you uh, for jumping on with us, and uh, we'll definitely be in touch again. All right, thanks for having me. Thanks. That's uh, Jacob Unruh joining us here on the Blitz 1170 from the Oklahoman covering the Oklahoma State Cowboys right here on the Blitz. I'm looking at Dan Hawk and his dumb craft beer hat. Of course, it's got to be it's got to be some awful hat that he's wearing here. Oh, now he's standing outside of the door just kind of stalking me. Yeah, you can come in, buddy. It's all right. It's all right. What is that hat? It's a beer thing, isn't no, it? No, it's my fly fishing hat. Uh, of course you're a fly fisher. On my kayak. Unbelievable, this guy. Always trying to find something. Right? Trying to find his path. His, I got it for his, free, too. His so groove. Got it for free, too. So there you go. Yeah, that's because that hat reminds me of the one from Caddyshack. They're like, <laughs> oh, with that hat, you get a free bowl of soup. Yep. yep. Of course you got that one for free. Yep. That's me. Yeah. All right. It's 224. When we come back, Matt, and we'll make it a shorter segment. What's up with Patrick Reed and Rory McElroy? We'll get to the bottom or at least try to explain it as much as we can next year on the Blitz. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.